Welcome to the Fire and Earth Podcast with your hosts, Jason Mefford and Kathy Gruber. Fire and Earth, giving you the keys to unlock your limitless potential. Welcome to another episode of the Fire and Earth Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jason Mefford. And I am Kathy Groover, and we have a very special guest, as we often do for the show today. And before I introduce him, I just want to say how we met. So I'm on LinkedIn pretty frequently, and one day I got a DM, as I do from people all the time, and there's this guy who I don't know who said, hey, I have a new book. I get this all the time. And I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. And then I started to read it, and I went, well, like this actually applies to, like this is something I could really get into. And so I wrote back and said, yeah, 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 I'll check it out. Let me know when it's out. And we had a brief thing back and forth. And the next thing you know, I ordered his book and I started reading it and it was really good. And it's so rare that I do that, but it's, I tell that story because, you know, people are like, I don't want to reach out and I don't want to bug people. I don't know. Reach out. I mean, like be kind about it and be cool about it, but you never know when it's going to be the exact right moment that that message lands in someone's inbox and that's how it was so i'm excited we've got the author of sustain your game and a couple other books alan stein jr so everybody welcome thanks for being here alan oh man i'm so excited to be with you guys this is going to be a lot of fun and i'm i'm very thankful that you returned my unsolicited dm (laughs) (laughs) the unsolicited dm i did so why don't you tell people who you are how you got to where you are and what you do So professionally speaking, I'm a former basketball performance coach, and I had an opportunity to spend 15 years uh, working with many of the game's highest performing players, uh, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Stephen Curry, Kevin Durant. Um, And five years ago, I decided to make the very distinct pivot to leave the basketball training space and become a corporate keynote speaker and author. And I, I now translate Uh, the strategies and lessons and principles that I learned through the game, through these high performing players. And and I show folks how to use the the principles with the highest utility and show them how to apply those to their own lives uh, and their own uh, vocations. And I'm having an absolute blast doing it and really grateful for the opportunity to do what I do. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, Jason and I are both speakers as well. So I know the, 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 passion and the excitement that comes from being in front of a live audience that's very cool so what is your your background in basketball then were you a basketball player I was so actually basketball was my first identifiable passion and I fell in love with the game at five years old and I'm so thankful that here 40 plus years later basketball is still a major pillar of my life and I say that with the utmost gratitude that I'm so thankful that I've been able to not only make a living but build a life around something I've always been incredibly passionate about. And, you know, when I was a middle school age player, uh, a coach gave me a piece of advice that I still to this day consider the best advice I've ever been given. And he said, uh, you need to find something you're passionate about, find something you're naturally pretty good at, and then find where those two things intersect. Mm. And wherever those things intersect, that that's your strength zone. And the yeah. more time and effort you can invest in your strength zone, not only will you perform at a higher level, but you'll have a much higher sense of joy and fulfillment as well. And uh, I've stayed true to that um, throughout my entire life. Now, that point of intersection has changed over time. You know, as I've gotten older and had more life experience, I've uncovered new passions and I've developed new skills, but I've still managed to to make my life and make my living in that strength zone. And yeah, as you mentioned, the the first portion of that, uh, first portion of my life was as a basketball player. Um, And then when I realized that, uh, you know, when I was graduating college I, and I played at Elon University down in North Carolina, I realized that, you know, when I was graduating from Elon, my formal playing days were over. That's when I decided to become a basketball performance coach uh, and then made the most current pivot and iteration, which is the keynote speaking and writing. 
Well, it's interesting. You know, I, I, I grew up loving basketball too. And, and I was, I was, uh, you know, I'd play in my backyard and all that kind of stuff. I wasn't very good, but I loved it. And I was so excited because I kind of had my little growth spurt before everybody else did. So middle school, I was five, nine, you know, and I'm like, yes, you know, and then a year later, everybody else caught up and passed me. And that was kind of, <laughs> your career went all the way through college. <laughs> Mine kind of stopped in, in, in junior high. <laughs> At that As point. they do. <laughs> yeah, you know, but but it's 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 fascinating. And I think it's it's always really interesting to talk to people like you that have worked with, you know, these people that we idolize. I mean, those people you you listed off at the beginning. I mean, some of the greatest athletes in the world, right? And 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 what's so what's so interesting is all of the things that they do that make themselves great at their sport are things that we can all kind of incorporate as well, right? which I'm sure is kind of the basis of the book and a lot of the things that you speak and talk about too. So I'm excited to kind of dig in and, and learn more because you don't have to be Kobe Bryant to be, to be a peak performer and to actually get a lot out of life. Right. Absolutely. I'm so glad you, you, you went in that direction. I mean, when you're talking about playing um, a professional sport, obviously there is a physicality component. And, and you know, you even mentioned the most prominent one in basketball uh, usually is height. a certain <laughs> level of height and athleticism. Um, you know, so, but that, you know, to play in the NBA, that's just kind of the ante to, to, play, a, to play a round of cards. Um, when we talk about life in general in a more evergreen fashion and we talk about business, we can remove the physicality component because in order to have a very fulfilling life or be incredibly successful in business, it doesn't matter if you're 5'9 or 6'9 and it doesn't matter if you, know, you can jump on top of a curb or not. All that matters is that you can emulate these proven principles uh, and strategies and disciplines that high performers use. And one of the things I was so amazed having spent time with somebody like a Kobe Bryant was he would spend a tremendous amount of time studying high performers in other industries. You know, Kobe Bryant would study Tom Brady. He would study Beyonce. He would study Warren Buffett. You know, he said, these people are in the upper 0.1% of what they do in their chosen craft. What can I learn from them? What can I emulate and apply that to what it is that I do? And, and I've just tried to reverse engineer that and, and do the same thing and say, okay, what lessons and strategies and disciplines and routines and mindsets can I pull from elite basketball players and show folks how to apply those to what they're doing? And you know, as I've been uncovering that, it's amazing to me that there's a small handful of traits that, that basically unite all high performers. You know, whether you wanna be an elite keynote speaker, you wanna be an elite pianist, or you just wanna be an elite mom or dad, these principles have such high utility that they apply everywhere in our lives. Yeah, and I love that you say that because so often people look to their own industry to grow and they don't think to look to the Starbucks guy or whoever started GE or, you know, they, they pigeonhole themselves into, well, I do concrete, so I'm only gonna to look to the concrete experts. You know, um, the other thing that I love is you realized at college, the basketball career for you was over. So you took all that knowledge and you stayed in that field. And I think so often people have this, you know, this idea from when they're a kid, I want to be a whatever. And when they realize they can't be that specific little thing, they don't think to branch out to what the rest of that industry could look like for them. I was a theater major. I swore I'd never get off stage. I went to Hollywood. I did the acting thing. And when I realized that wasn't going to work, I kind of went, oh shit, now what? Well, here I am. I'm still on stage. I'm still entertaining people. I'm still doing, you know, it's a different outfit and sometimes a different accent, 
but I'm still doing that thing that I wanted to do as a kid. That that was my dream. And I think people throw it away and forget there's maybe another iteration of what they actually dreamt about doing. So I oh. love that you pivoted and you brought all that in. So that's, those are the things I've taken away so far. <laughs> no, I, I'm glad that you shared that. That's really cool. And, you know, I used to say when I would spend a lot of time traveling around speaking at youth basketball camps, I would always say this kind of tongue in cheek and with a smile, I would say, you know, every single one of you can make it to the NBA. And then I'd pause for a second. And then I'd see very few of you will make it there as a player. But if your goal is to be in the NBA, think of how many different jobs are in the NBA, both on court and off court. I mean, you know, any, anything from being the person that sells you the tickets to being a referee to, to even being an owner of a team one day, you know, if your goal is to make a life around the sport of basketball, that is incredibly viable. And there are so many different avenues for you to do that. And, and I want you to pursue the playing portion of that for as long as you can and give it everything you've got. I mean, it's a very lofty dream, but just know that as you said so insightfully, if for any reason that dream won't come to fruition, there's still other options for you to stay around the game. And, and, and I'm certainly proof of that. And, and yeah. then one other thing, and I, I would love your guys' feedback on this since you're both professional speakers, uh, there, there are two forms of, of spoken word that I choose to study religiously outside of the keynote speaking world. Uh, one is hip hop and the other is stand up comedy. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Other art forms that are, you know, based solely on spoken word. And, you know, it's, yep. it's probably obvious to you all right now that I'll never be a rapper and I'll most likely <laughs> never be a stand up comedian. Well, but I can still draw from those, yeah. those, you know, those crafts and those art forms. And I can improve my delivery and my presence yep. and my rhythm and the way I can evoke imagery and the way I can articulate a certain point. So, yeah, if I figure if all I do is study other keynote speakers, then I'll probably just be like other keynote speakers. Yeah. And we're all in an industry where we need to be able to kind of cut through the noise and show that, that we have something slightly different to offer. So yeah, yeah for me, I'm always looking outside of yeah. my direct industry. I, I had a friend of mine and one of his favorite quotes is, uh, you can't see the picture if you're in the frame. So you, you have to kind of step outside to really be able to enjoy that artwork. Yeah, and I love that you said I, my my partner and I watch stand up comedy all the time. We drive down to LA from Santa Barbara. We're seeing them live. Uh, Netflix is constantly going watching stand up comedy. And I grew up in a very funny household. My dad was the funniest man I knew. His timing was impeccable. He always had a one liner. If there was an opening and it could be the middle of a funeral, he's taking the opening. I mean, he just he was hilarious. And I inherited that and then mimicked that, right? Because I saw that people liked him because of his humor. So I, as a kid, I was always trying to, not trying to be funny. I wasn't the class clown, but if there was an opening, I took it. And so I'm constantly watching like just stand-up comedy and my talks are hilarious uh, because I go from, and I dance to hip hop. I don't think about looking at that to speak, but yeah, I'll have to listen to the words. Well, the, 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 way, <laughs> the way that they're able to string the language together and the Absolutely. imagery that they put into it. I mean, it's, you know, I, I love Eminem. He's one of my, like, I love that dude, you know, and it's it, w the way that he's able to musically pull everything together, deliver the message with so few words, but yet also in a rhyming and a pattern, you know, which again, from a, from an emotional standpoint, that's what we need as humans. Right. And so, you know, I love that, that, that you're talking about that, that you're doing that because again, I mean, one of the hardest jobs in the world is a stand-up comic. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, I mean, you, <laughs> it's hard enough to be an actor or be a professional athlete, but you're up on stage every night with people, you know, potentially laughing at you, <laughs> right? Not with you, 
and 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 each night is totally different and so so there are there's a lot of skills and things that you can learn from that but I wanted to kind of back up just a bit because I loved what you what you tell what you tell those kids in in the training camp right that that a lot of times I think people you know I heard you say you got to find something you're passionate about and that you're pretty good at and then try to do that right and so much of us and we're, we're we're taught in this world oh go be a doctor go be a lawyer so you can earn some money right and and so many of us give up that passion side of our life because we think well i can't make money doing that there's no career in that and 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 i know like from the military i'd, I'd heard this stat before it might be wrong but there's something like 11 or 12 different people in the military for every one person on the front line, right? So we think we think about like a fighter pilot and we think about, you know, the, per the Marine out there with the, with the gun in, in the trenches, but there's all these other support people behind them as well that you bring that up. And it's, um, I just went to LA Angels game the other night. Otani broke his strikeout record. It was, it was great anyway. But, but as you said that too, you know, I'm sitting there thinking about all of the people, you know, taking the tickets when you, when you park and, you know, all the ushers and the food concessions people and everything else like that. And I, I think it's, it's great. It's important for us to remember that just because something is your passion doesn't mean that you have to give it up right? Like oh, go to the yeah. NBA, <laughs> go to the NBA. <laughs> exactly. And, and, you know, as we look at that kind of that, that intersection for the strength zone, you know, uh, a couple of things also come to mind. One, I want someone to know that if you have a very strong passion for something, but maybe you don't have a tremendous amount of natural talent in that area, that's something that can become a hobby. That's something that yeah. you can do in your leisure time. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm not very musically inclined. So it's, it's my own self-awareness that leads me to the conclusion that I'll never be, a, you know, in a rock band or a, a, a lead singer or anything like that. But if, if singing or playing an instrument was a passion of mine, you know, I don't have to be world-class at it. I, I can simply do that in my free time because it brings me joy, you know, and it's something I'm enthusiastic about. So it's, it's not always just about finding that, that, that intersection for you to pursue vocationally. This is also just to round out our lives doing things that we enjoy. Yeah. Now, however, if we look on the other side of it, um, if you are not passionate about something, but you have a natural talent towards it, that can be a slippery slope as well. And, you know, two examples come to mind. You know, let's just say instead of you, you know, hitting five nine when you were in middle school, you were six nine and you didn't like the sport of basketball, but your parents and everybody told you you have to play basketball because you're tall and you don't really enjoy it it's easy to kind of get nudged in that direction. Yeah. Or if both of your parents were physicians, but you don't have the same passion towards medicine or helping people in that regard, but they're saying, look, you need to be a doctor. Like you're incredibly bright. You have all of the skill sets needed. You need to be a doctor. If that passion's not there, uh, that's dangerous to pursue as well. So there's, there's either side of that strength zone that I think are, are you know, certainly worthy of talking about and, and worthy of pursuing when it's right. Yeah, I have a great story from what you just said. Um, I had a client, she came in, I was doing so. I started out as a massage therapist, which I'm really good at and I had a passion for. So we hit that, that teeny little spot in the middle, right? Um, awesome. I had a client there and I was working on my PhD at the time. She was at UCSB as a psych uh, student for psychology, PhD. And she said, oh, it must be so nice to be doing a PhD that you love. And I went, uh, wait, like, why are you doing a PhD 
in psych if you don't like it? She goes, well, both my parents are doctors and they're really pushing me into this profession. She goes, I really don't like it. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I said, that's, that's such a hard program, especially to not like it. I said, well, let me ask you this. I said, what would you like to be doing? And she said, I really want to be a baker. And I went, oh, she goes, I love baking. I love serving, serving people. I love, it's such a passion of mine. And I said, well, have you ever worked in a bakery? She goes, no, I just, I'm obsessed with the baking shows and I've got all these cookbooks and I do it in my spare time. And I said, can I give you homework? And she goes, sure. And I said, it's, we're about to come up on summer. I said, contact one of the bakeries in Santa Barbara, see if you can intern, see if you can work there a week, see if you can get in that field and, and make sure you, I mean, you're going to regret if you never try it. And she goes, oh my God, what a great idea months pass by like six months pass by she calls makes another appointment she's on the table and I said oh my god hey whatever happened with like you working in a bakery and she goes oh I reached out and I found one and they let me intern for the summer and I fucking hated every second of it I'm so excited to be in psychology <laughs> wow she realized that baking was a passion but she didn't want to make it a job she Absolutely. wanted to make it what she did in her spare time she actually ended up on a cooking show she won some baking show. I mean, it was just, it was perfect, but she's now a psychologist and she's helping young ladies with eating disorders. I mean, it's like, it just, but she, if she had, she not tried it, she would have wondered her entire life. Maybe I should be a baker. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. It, uh, you know, I, I so I, I'm the father of three kids. I have 12 year old twin sons and a 10 year old daughter. And, and funny enough, very similar to what you just shared, we were having dinner the other night. Um, and I was telling them about all of the jobs that I had when I was in high school and college. And it was a pretty wide array of jobs. Um, and, and I explained to them that checking off what you don't want to do is just as valuable as finding what you do want to do. In fact, checking off what you don't want to do leads you one step closer to what you do want to do. And, you know, we had a good laugh at all of the jobs that I had that I tried and said, I will never do this again. But the only way that I knew that was by doing it. So those were incredibly valuable experiences. And uh, yeah, I, I think the more we're willing to be open and try different things, uh, the better off we'll be. And it'll get us closer to that, that intersection. Because I, if anyone listening to this right now is thinking, well, I don't, I don't know exactly what I'm very passionate about and very good at and what I want to pursue. There's nothing wrong with that. And age is also not necessarily a, a factor. I mean, this tends to be advice that I preach to young people a lot, but if you're in your mid forties or fifties or sixties and you're not loving what you're doing at present and you're feeling burned out, there's nothing wrong with recalibrating and refocusing that lens and trying to figure out where that intersection for you is now at present. It's never too late. Yeah. Absolutely. I, and I love that because I, you know, I work with a lot of people that are in their midlife, right? And there's a lot of people that I find most of the people that are burned out, that are hating life, they're usually in some vocation that they're not passionate about. It was one of those where it's like, well, you know, mom and dad were doctors, so I've got to be a doctor, but I fucking hate doing it. You know, it's like, well, how much longer are you going to keep hating your life? You know, before, before you try, try some other things because like you said, there's, there's so many different ways that we can, we can earn money. And if, if you're making great money, but you hate your life and, you know, you're depressed all the time, is the money worth it at that point? Or is it time to start trying to recalibrate? And like you said, find something else, find that strength zone yeah. where you can make a move. Well, and, and what you have to do is you have to recalibrate your core values and what your North star is, you know, wh where that becomes a slippery slope. If you over prioritize uh, money and, and, and material things and external validation, then you're, you're swimming up current. I mean, it makes it really challenging to make that pivot. 
But if you say, hey, I'd rather make $70,000 a year and absolutely love my life than make $270,000 a year and loathe my life, like yeah. you have to be willing to take control to make that trade. And, and that is difficult. I mean, I, I say all of this with not an ounce of judgment and with all the empathy and compassion I have in my heart, because the other game that, that I feel like we're encouraged to play, especially on social media, is the comparison game. And I can understand why someone would feel less than saying, well, you know, all of these people are making X amount of money and driving these cars and having these houses and, and I don't have those things. So I must be less than it, it takes tremendous self-belief and self-worth and self-confidence to rise above that and say, Hey, that's fine. If that's what they want, there's yeah. nothing wrong with those material items, but that's not <laughs> what I'm going to prioritize. I'm going to prioritize my fulfillment, my enjoyment, and my pursuit of mastery in something that I love that's what's most important. And it's, it's been my experience that when you do that, uh, the money ends up being a byproduct anyway. Like, uh, you know, obviously it would depend on the specific vocation, but I always believe that if you're really good at what you do and you do something that's of value and of service to other people, the money will find you. I mean, you, you don't have to go hunting for it and you certainly don't need to sacrifice your happiness and fulfillment for it. It'll find you. And if it doesn't, you've already won because you, you're doing something you love. You know, that's something I have to constantly remind myself, you know, generally speaking, and I hope this is taken with the humility at which it's presented. I've already won. I'm healthy. I have three amazing kids that I love very much. I do work that I consider meaningful and contributes to others. I at least have enough financial means that I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not out on the street. I have a roof over my head. And for that, I'm very thankful. So the rest is just, just extra. Like I've already won the game. I'm doing something I love with the people that I care about. Like, so when I don't get that speaking engagement, yeah, I might be down in the dumps for a couple of hours, but it's not that big a deal because I've already won. You know, yeah. if my book doesn't sell a million copies and Oprah Winfrey never calls me, it's okay. <laughs> I've already won. And it's, to yeah. me, it's important to have that perspective. And I, and I say already won through the lens of gratitude. You know, it's not about yeah. keeping score or measuring external, uh, you know, things. It's just simply saying, I should be very thankful that I've got a good life doing something I enjoy with people I love. Yeah. Well, and I love that you brought up values to back up a little bit because Jason and I talk about that all the time. And, you know, I have clients who have moved to a part of California that is not great. Um, it's kind of a poopy area, but they can get a gigantic house. I want five bedrooms. They can't do that in Santa Barbara. So their value is a gigantic home. They're the ones with everything that matches in their Instagram photos and they're all constantly having the best food. And that's their value. Sure. Um, I don't want a gigantic house or I'd be living in like South Dakota or something. You know, it's, it's not a value for me. Uh, and I think when we're true to our values, that helps. That's why we do it. It guides us. Right. And I was thinking, Jason, back to our talk with Mike Pashoda, who gave up mm -hmm. a, mm -hmm. you know, six figure real estate career to be a magician. He left the fiance. He moved to California to be near the magic castle. And now he's our resident. I'm, a, I'm on the board there. He's now a resident magician. Yep. Like talk about the risk. And I, you know, thinking back to stand-up comics and, you know, take, taking that chance to do things, it's all also about risk-taking, right? You have to step into that sort of discomfort sometimes and take that risk to get what you want to have that success. I have eight books. They have not sold millions of copies, but they're published. They're mine. I get to share them with people and like help people grow and learn. And that's a huge win. That's a huge success to me, even if it never makes me a million dollars. So I'm, I'm with you. Oh. But I, and I was going to say, because maybe we can, I, I want to ask you some questions about this, because you work with these high performers, right? And, and just like what Kathy was talking about, I mean, sometimes you, you got to put in the work, right? I mean, 
thinking of one stand-up comic that I know that she's she's on the trajectory right now, but she she was effectively living in her car at different points in her career, right? I mean, you gotta you gotta put in the work, you gotta do the things. Sometimes, you know, to 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 get what you really want, you have to put in the work. So maybe kind of talk a little bit about that because I know, you know, again, working with elite athletes and other people you know, we, we sit there and think, oh, you know, Kobe, you know, he was just naturally gifted. No, the dude worked, you know, and, and all these other people that you were, you know, Steph and everybody else that you guys were, you were talking about, these are people that, that show up, they put in the work. What are, what are some of these kind of traits that these people have that we, we can all start incorporating as well? Because especially social media, Instagram, blah, 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 everybody thinks, oh, I think it and boom, you know, kind of thing. And that ain't how it works. <laughs> Definitely not. And, and, and those players you mentioned absolutely put in the work. I mean, and, and the term we use is the unseen hours. You know, for a basketball player, the unseen hours uh, are when no one's in the arena, the cameras aren't rolling and the cheerleaders aren't dancing. They're just in a gym by themselves working on their craft. And, and I think uh, the average fan would be blown away to know how many hours a guy like Kobe Bryant or Steph Curry has put in when no one was watching. So yeah, the work is absolutely a, a key component and you can't be successful without it. Um, but what makes that work palpable and palatable is the fact that they loved what they were doing. You know, I don't know that Kobe or Steph would be able to log the same number of hours in a different vocation that they did not enjoy doing. So the part of that sustainability is, is finding something that you love, which is the same reason that an aspiring stand-up comedian is willing to live out of their car because they're pursuing something they enjoy. The, the thrill they get to do a five-minute open mic set, you know, um, is what keeps them going and keeps, you know, makes it worth it, makes the writing sessions of writing a new joke and trying that material out and switching up, you know, the punchline or the timing. It's the mastery of that craft uh, that keeps them drawn in. But to answer your, your question, yeah, there are definitely a handful of traits that unite all high performers uh, in basketball or business or anything in between. And these are the types of traits that I recommend everyone try to emulate in a way that's very authentic and genuine to you and your life and your situation. Uh, the first, and I learned this directly from Kobe Bryant in 2007, when he said his secret was that the best never get bored with the basics. And this kind of uh. is what we were talking about. He, he said that, you know, working towards mastery of the fundamentals every single day is what will lay the foundation to which the rest of your house is built. And the beautiful part is it doesn't mean you need to be working on the basics 10 hours a day, 15 to 20 minutes every single day done consistently over time adds up to a, a massive return. So what I tell folks, you know, in basketball, you know, you know your, your basics are your, your footwork and your shooting mechanics, you know, whatever vocation you're in, ask yourself, what are the handful of basics or fundamentals that, that are required to have mastery of this craft? And how can I work towards those every single day? So the first is never getting bored with the basics. Uh, the second trait that unites all high performers is they do a masterful job of blending confidence with humility. They've earned the right to be confident because they've put in this work during the unseen hours, but they brush that with massive humility, which is what allows them to stay open to feedback stay open to coaching and what reminds them that no matter how good they are, they can still get better. I mean, Stephen Curry is considered by most experts to be the greatest shooter to ever play the game of basketball. 
And he doesn't rest on that because he knows he still has a small gap where he can improve. He doesn't say I'm better than everybody else. So now I can just chill out. He says, I might be better than everyone else, but I'm not as good as I can be. So I'll be in the gym tomorrow morning, working on my craft, working on those basics. So, so those are, are two traits that, that jump out immediately. And then the last that I've noticed is they're willing to commit to the process. You know, they, they may be driven by a goal, winning an NBA championship or scoring a certain number of points or, you know, uh, hitting a quarterly sales goal in your business. They might have that goal, but once they have the goal, they put their sights on the process, on the daily behaviors, on the habits, the routines, the micro skills needed to achieve that goal. So they don't spend a whole lot of time sitting around wishing, wanting, hoping, dreaming, they put most of their time in saying, what can I do today that takes me just a couple of inches closer to reaching that goal? And if I can string enough days together, then it's not if I'm going to hit my goal, it's a matter of when, and that's their mindset. So they learn to detach from outcomes and focus mm. on the process. So those are the three traits that jump out immediately. I love it. I love it. And I'm glad you shared those because of course we could talk all day and we're out of time. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, Jace, you're, you're, I know you're aching to ask more questions. Well, it, 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 it was, <laughs> you know, again, as, as you know, I usually talk about ways of being with my clients, you know, but, but, but things like being committed to the process, you know, well, you gotta, you gotta have commitment, right? You gotta be committed. That's a way of being, you know, sort of thing. But I, I think it's interesting because like you said, it's, there's clues all around this, you know, and, and, and I, I love that story about Kobe looking to, you know, these other people in outside of his industry to learn as well, because, you know, that's what I suggest people do. I mean, a lot of the great inventions or new business models or other stuff that are created have nothing to do with that particular industry, right? It was somebody in that industry that got inspired or saw something from some somewhere else. But I think also too, that, you know, what you, what you just brought up, and I just want to highlight, because some people might have missed over it, is I think sometimes when we're trying to perform, we're trying to improve, we think like we have to, you know, we have to be on the basketball court 12 hours a day. And, and this whole idea of it's the little incremental things, it's being committed to showing up or doing some of the basics for 10 minutes, 15 minutes a day, right? Which again, it still baffles me that, you know, I, I say this to people, and they just don't get it, right? It's like, they think, well, I'm going to go to this 40 hour training, and then I'm going to do nothing for like the next six months. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> you know, it's like, that's, that's, that'd be like a basketball player, you know, going in and I'm, I'm going to work really hard this week. And then I'm just going to coast the rest of the season. It doesn't work that way. But it's those little incremental things. And if we just do those little things every day, then like you said, those 10 to 15 minutes a day adds up to a lot, right? So that it's it's doable for everybody. I guess this is what I was trying to get back to. So yeah. it's- yeah. so, so well said. The analogy I always use is if you're ever tasked with building a brick wall, don't focus on the wall, just focus on laying each and every brick with care and precision. Yeah. And think about that. If every morning you wake up and you lay a few bricks as carefully and as precisely as you possibly can, and you do that consistently, Within a couple of weeks or a couple of months, the wall will take care of itself. All you have to do is focus on laying yeah. those bricks to the best of your ability. And that's that that brick by brick mentality is, is something I do, you know, the best I can to live, you know, to, to lead my life. And it's certainly what I try to model for others. 
Yeah. Well, it's something people say, oh my gosh, how'd you write books? I could never write a whole book. And I said, well, I didn't sit down and write a whole book. I sat down and wrote a couple words that formed a sentence. And then that was a paragraph. And then I had a chapter and then I had a book. I mean, you know, it's like, you can't, people get so daunted by, oh my God, I can't do this whole thing. It's Jason. I say all the time, how do you eat an elephant? One forkful at a time, you know, um, sorry, we could talk all day. Oh my gosh. Okay. So sustain your game is a new book. This is your second. You have one before this, right? I did. Yeah. Raise Your Game came out in 2019. And, and the Raise Your Game was to show folks how to reach optimal performance. Sustain Your Game is to show folks how to stay there and, and have a high sense of fulfillment as well. Yay. Well, I'm about a third of the way through and I'm loving it. So uh, it's it's my bedside read. So it's on my side. Sustain Your Game. So Alan Stein Jr., how can everybody reach you? How can they find the book? Uh, they can go to allensteinjr.com, or I also have a supplemental website, strongerteam.com, that has info. I, I do a little bit of coaching. I've got a podcast, the info on the books. I've got a course. Uh, and then I'm very easily found and accessible on social media at Allenstein Jr., uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, and certainly, if you're interested in either book, uh, you can go on Amazon or Audible or wherever you choose to buy books. They're very easily found. And this was so much fun. I really enjoyed this conversation. You guys are awesome. Oh, thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad we connected on LinkedIn. Hey, social media works, man. It's about building relationships. Mm -hmm. um, I'm Kathy Groover. I can be reached at kathygroover.com. And I'm Jason Mefford. I can be reached at jasonmefford.com. So go out, raise your game, sustain your game this week. And we'll catch you on the next episode of the podcast.